Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a very special episode of Ruminations of Red Rum. Today, I am your host, Brendan. And uh, with us, we have a very special guest. Uh, you guys have heard me talk about him ad nauseum. Uh, I've, got, I've got Kyle to buy uh, quite a few of his books. Um, and now we can officially say, please welcome friend of the show, author David Sodergren. How you doing, David? Oh, I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for um, having me on. Very nice. <laughs> nice to be here. We are so happy to have you here. Like I said, uh, I've I've shilled your books on this show uh, more times than people probably want. Uh, so it's uh, I'm I'm very happy that we get to have you uh, as our first guest for an interview. Marvelous. No, yeah. <laughs> so uh, just uh, real quick before we get into it, I just uh, I want to. I, I've maybe told this story before, but how I stumbled upon uh, your work is uh, I was taking a lot of train rides into the city for work, and I was finding myself very listless, uh, you could say. So one day I just Googled uh, top horror novels, and uh, almost every single list had The Forgotten Island as at least number two on the list. Uh, I picked it up immediately. And I absolutely fell in love with it. And David, you have completely kickstarted my uh, horde of books that I have just uh, scattered throughout my apartment. <laughs> that's uh, I just want people to spend money on horror books. That's, that's all I want. Particularly mine, but you know, anyone else's yeah. as well is <laughs> is always good. Exactly. I was on those lists. I I never <laughs> never ever Google myself. I think that's a, a dangerous. Um, path to travel so it's good to know that uh the results if you do google me are um or if you google top horror novels are uh positive i would like to apologize to the listeners by the way from i've got a pug who's um very noisy uh so if you if you hear things like that little squeaks and grunts that's that's the dog not me see that's just an incentive honestly um actually and so uh if people want to find you on social media your twitter and instagram is at paperbacks and pugs um, That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's it, Instagram's paperbacks and pugs, and Twitter's paperbacks and pugs. No A or D. And okay. I've just signed up to Threads and Blue Sky and Mastodon and things. Yeah, but um, yeah, Twitter and Instagram are, are the places to find me. Okay, and your uh, your your author Facebook page is David Sodergren author hyphen author, correct? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> oh, okay. Because yeah. I remember you posted on Facebook that you were starting a uh, a special uh, Facebook page for for your um, author related stuff. But we'll we'll throw all that in the uh, in the the description notes. Yeah, I, I did start a Facebook page, and then I recently posted. I posted the other day saying, "Hey, has everyone bought my latest book yet?" And everyone said, "Well, we didn't know it was out because I'd actually forgotten to post." <laughs> it was out that's how often i use facebook <laughs> so i do have one and i will use it more apologies to anyone who uh, is only on facebook uh so let's uh before we get into um you can't see it but i'm holding it up before we get into your uh latest uh novel and by god's hand you shall die which we need to talk about that title because it's great uh could you just uh maybe give us uh, a little background on on yourself your love of horror and kind of what led you down the path of becoming an author? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I I have been obsessed with horror and horror books and horror films and horror everything um, as long as I can 
I actually remember since I was a very small child, certainly. And I started writing books. Uh, or, sorry, I should say I started writing stories um, back when I was uh, eight, I think. eight. The, the oldest story I have is written when I was eight years old about aliens killing everyone in school. Um, <laughs> Which now that, now that would probably not be met well. Yes, well, this this was the uh, this was the nineteen eighties. It was fine, yeah. <laughs> um, and then yeah, I, yeah, I, I didn't start seriously writing uh, until um, about six years ago or so. Hang on, one, Boris, calm down. Um, until about six years ago, uh, and that was when I, I I basically hadn't written for many many years because I. Well, it was finding the time, and also there was a sort of feeling of everything because I've been obsessed with horror for you know decades. It was it was struggling to come up with something new, but not realizing at the time that actually you don't need to come up with some original, like never before seen concept because mm-hmm. you know that's very few people do that. And actually, just writing a, a classic sort of kind of story that you know you'll put your own spin on it. Um, and it will it will be it will be different just by virtue of being written by yourself, you know. So that that was the sort of breakthrough I needed to realize. Oh, actually, um, maybe I should actually sit down and write, you know, that novel that I yeah. that I've always wanted to write. And then it, it sort of picked up steam from there. It was it was well received. I mean, there there's not many authors that you see on <clears throat> on their first novel like regarding the the forgotten island really take off as like spectacularly as you did it, it's quite impressive and in kind of awe-inspiring and i think a lot of authors look up to you um especially with how just incredible your your first novel is and how you were able to basically create your voice from day one well that is very very kind of you to say um yeah, I, I just I, I had one novel that I wrote before that um, that it will it'll never be released. Not because it's terrible; it's not great, but I've since plundered um, all its best bits for other books and stories. Okay, um, but yeah, it, it didn't. It, 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 Forgotten Island, I'd say, took a good couple of years for me to to pick up steam. I think, um, but then maybe that's maybe that's just. I'm looking at it differently. Uh, yeah, it's certainly it's still my bestseller. Although the heart is now uh, very fast approaching it um, in terms of sales. That's my uh, my last book, my slightly more mainstream one, I guess you could argue. It I I really liked the the emotional elements that because uh, before that was um, uh, uh, Maggie's grave. And uh, I, I appreciated how how tonally dark and uh, I don't want, I don't want to say it, hateful is the wrong word. Um, <laughs> uh, no, and I I'm trying to find the good word. To, I I think you get what I'm trying to say. And then and then you follow that up with the horror, and it's kind of this like really touching story. Uh, and I I was completely thrown off guard by it, and I was like holy shit like i i've always known that you've had range but seeing you go from one book like maggie's grave to the horror it's it's very impressive 
I think you have to keep people on their toes, <laughs> really. Because uh, uh, my best-selling books tend to be the ones where it's a bunch of teenagers um, <laughs> trapped somewhere by a, a monster. They seem to sell best. And I know I could put out book after book of that. Um, but it gets boring for the readers, I think, and it also gets very boring for me. I have to keep myself interested. I have to just follow what I want to write, um, whatever I'm obsessed with at that time. And sometimes it's something quite pleasant, sometimes like the horror. And most of the time, it's something quite unpleasant. Um, in fact, I think the one directly before the horror was Satan's Burnouts Must Die, which is yeah. extremely uh, grim, almost splatterpunk extreme horror sort of thing. Uh, be before and by God's hand. Um, would you would you consider your your latest novel your most extreme? I the thing is, I write the books mm-hmm. and I read and I write them and I spend a year and I write it over and over and I edit it and everything. And then I never ever go back. I never. <laughs> so it's it's hard for me to compare them in a way. I'd say the new one probably. Is I guess I think there's one scene in um, Satan's Burnouts that's just a bit, mind you. I'm just thinking out loud now. I'd say yeah, probably it's my most extreme. <laughs> okay, that's nice. Yeah, because I I think I saw Steve Stred. Uh, <laughs> he uh, he I think he tweeted or something like a a a, a disturbing book that has now dethroned the perfect victim. And after I read that, I was like, you know what? I think that that's a that's a pretty apt uh, apt statement to make. Um, I, I consider Perfect Victim um, to be almost YA, <laughs> so that shows oh, how, okay. how completely out of touch with my own books I am. Uh, oh. I, like I thought that was one that oh maybe a, you know maybe a young person could read this. But I guess uh, I guess I, thinking about some of the um, testicle squashing and and um, yeah. entrail strangulation. Yeah, okay, yeah. Maybe. um so uh before we really get into talking about your latest uh just so that people can kind of uh get a feeling uh i know that in the afterword of and by god's hand you shall die you you talk about the the inspirations of you know your uh fulci inspirations what uh what films uh either growing up or now kind of really speak to you is there like a certain subgenre that you that you find your way uh going back to more often i think it would probably be and it's 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 not so much a subgenre as a european horror of the 1970s and 80s i would say for me is the um is my sort of bread and butter you know that that's something i can always always come back to and there's such a wide variety of it as well because you've got your like your italian films are very distinct from your spanish and your french and and your i guess your british as well um, but it's it's more that sort of is particularly the Italians with the you've got the the giallo um, of the seventies um, which turned uh, homage in uh, Dead Girl Blues my novel mm-hmm. uh, and then yeah you've got your sort of splatter gore things like your um, Umberto Lenzi's Joe D'Amato's Lucio Fulci's I would say that those those films in particular are the ones that um, have been the most sort of inspiration. Um, for myself, particularly, particularly for and God, um, <laughs> get the name of my book wrong. And by God's hand, you shall die. That is pure, pure homage to Lucio Fulci, but updating it for the sort of modern age a little. 
Gotcha. Uh, out of curiosity, have you uh, seen Rawhead Rex? I certainly have. Yeah, yeah. I think I've got it on my shelf somewhere. Okay, we just uh, we just covered that um, the other day. That is a that's a that's a special movie. I I remember Rawhead um, pissing on a priest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is a. Uh... Probably it's, the most. I, I quite enjoy that film, although I wish in the original short story, if I remember correctly, Rawhead himself has a penis for a head, which would have been pretty great to see on screen, but sadly, yeah, never happened. Yeah, there's. A, I know there's a quote from Clive Barker saying that when it comes to a creature feature, the script doesn't matter; the director has to have oomph, and I feel like that film could have used a bit more oomph. Uh, I think that would be hard to argue against. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I think uh, I think we should kind of uh, jump right in to uh, "And by God's hand you shall die." And for listeners out there, just a heads up: we might get in a little spoiler territory. Um, we'll try to keep things uh, as vague as possible, but still have an interesting conversation. So, just a heads up on that. So, uh, this is a very, very interesting novel. I think uh, in my review for it, for Horror Obsessive, uh, I said it feels like a Fulci novelization on acid. Uh, And I just kind of wanted to... So obviously, uh, uh, Fulci is an inspiration for this novel. And there's a a few specific films in uh, in particular. I did have them pulled up and now I lost them. Uh, Zombie 2, City of the Living Dead, the beyond and the house by the cemetery. Absolutely. Um, so what, what is it about his films that, that not only uh, inspired you actually, before we get to that, cause I think this is a very interesting story. Uh, could you talk about how you got into the, uh, the idea for this novel? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes ideas come from absolutely nothing whatsoever. And this was one of those, where I was just mucking around. I use uh, Adobe Illustrator to um, do all my book covers. Uh, my wife showed me how to use that, so thank you, Heather. Uh, not that you'll ever listen to this, but thank you anyway. Um, so I was using that, and I, 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 I'd done an image um, because I, I, I write books under various different names, and I had an image um, that I'd done because I do my own covers for a lot of the other ones. Uh, and so I put that on. I wanted to see how it looked. Um, like as an actual cover with with text and and titles and things like that. So I put uh, I put it up on the page and I thought, well, what's uh, I, I need to come up with a title. Um, so I just typed in uh, "haunted brothel." I thought, well, that that's that sounds like a great thing. I'd watch a film or read a book called "Haunted Brothel." Absolutely, one hundred percent. And then as I was looking at the cover, I thought, wait, hang on, that's I I would read that book. In fact, I'd quite like to write that. So. I think it was that afternoon. I just sat down and started hammering out sort of ideas for what was at the time called Haunted Brothel. Although it was planned to be coming out under a different name, which is why it's possibly a bit more extreme than normal. Mm. Um, but yeah, I ended up liking it so much that I thought, well, yeah, this, this can, this can go out under, under my name. The, uh, <clears throat> the, cur- the cover that you have, for it, which was by the cover up by Ryan William K. Uh, how how close to that is the is it to the initial kind of haunted brothel 
cover it's or completely different haunted brothel um the cover image for that i will use at some point for something else because it's 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 a sort of it's a fairly generic horror cover in that sort of 70s uh, style. It, it's quite cool. It's quite cool. Um, it might. It, I'm sure it'll turn up in, on something at some point. But it is completely different because, of course, when I at that point I had absolutely no concept of the story or anything. Um, you know, and after after I'd uh, written a good portion of the book, um, that was when I spoke to Ryan about yeah getting the cover done. And the cover, of course, um, itself, I wanted the a black and white illustration. Uh, with a, a touch of red, and that is itself an homage to Lucio Fulci's uh, House by the Cemetery, which has one of my all-time favorite movie posters. Um, which is yeah, just it's a similar idea. It's black and white, touch of red, fucking brilliant. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it it's it was it's so different from from your other covers. Perfect Victim kind of almost feels like uh, an oil painting, and you have that really sharp illustration for uh the forgotten island and this kind of almost feels like uh i think what do they do they call it like uh collage art that might be the wrong word uh, but it, it's very impressive and it's it's uh upon when i saw you uh uh put the cover photo up on instagram i was like oh yeah this is going to be something special <laughs> excellent yeah, I mean, they, they choose the cover artist based on the story. So, I mean, I've used like Trevor Henderson quite a lot, who's absolutely incredible, and uh, Connor Leslie and, and Gemma Moore, who did the perfect victim. And it, I, I think about what style of cover I want and which one of my uh, artists. Um, it's Brian had spoken to me a couple of years ago, I think, saying uh, he'd be interested in doing a cover. And I said, I'll, I'll, as soon as the right project comes along, I'll let you know. And he probably thought I was just talking shit. But actually, <laughs> <laughs> years later I was like alright I've got the perfect one for you to do and he absolutely knocked it out of the park it was, I, I, that's an amazing cover <laughs> uh, so out of curiosity uh, I, I spend a lot of uh, my time in Manhattan and I've recently been watching a lot of films you know some Hen and Lauder films some Abel Ferrara films some nice. Larry Fessenden films that take place in uh, you know 80s Manhattan 90s Manhattan and I feel like every all these filmmakers have a a really interesting opportunity to film their Manhattan. So uh, this is this question is a two parter. Uh, one, have you ever been to Manhattan? Just out of curiosity. Uh, and two, um, I guess this is less of a question, but I feel like you were able to do what these great filmmakers have done, and you created your own Manhattan. You created the beating heart that you see in this time period for Manhattan. And it's it was such a journey to go on. You hit all the landmarks. Every time you said a street name or a specific location, I was like, oh, you know what? I think I think I vaguely can picture where that is. So um sorry for the long ramble. If you need me to repeat any of those. <laughs> no, no, it's good. <laughs> that that's that's perfect. That's what I love to hear because um I generally don't do a lot of research on anything um, that's not absolutely essential. But I, I did. I did make sure I pulled up Google Maps and ensured that my geography <laughs> actually made sense. Because New York, I have been to New York. I've been once um, uh, ten years ago, actually, and I met my friend there. I was only there for about five days or so. Um, I saw the important sites like the bridge where the zombies walk over in Zombie Two and the Ghostbusters mm. Firehouse. You know the the essential tourist yeah. stuff, 
Um, but my New York is very much based on the New York of exactly like you said, the New York of Frank Hedden Lotter, very much the New York of um, Bill Lustig uh, in his films like Maniac. Okay. Uh, you know, it's 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 New York as I know it through a specific set of films, much like when I wrote Navajo Nightmare. Um, that is the old West as seen through spaghetti westerns of the 1960s this is yeah it was, it was meant to be new york off the 80s that new york but it's all just steam and and neon and, and adult bookstores and, and porn cinemas and things that that cd it's that that period of new york just has this mystique and i don't know if that's just for me who lives in scotland where we have <laughs> nothing like that but it seems to me everyone's just uh, so many people have this obsession with the, the aura um and the, the the fantasy of this this time period in New York where it felt like it was lawless and almost like a wild west in itself it's, it's so evocative and writing that is a, a joy um so yeah very much based on New York as I know it through cinema but I I have been so I'm not just pulling it entirely out of Mars <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> and yeah as far as I can work out the geography. The, the distance certain people travel to get somewhere um, makes sense, uh, I believe. <laughs> I, I, after reading it, I can I can understand the that passionate answer that you just gave. I can completely feel that with within the the prose of it. So I think that that's um, uh, I think I think it's very hard to do, and I you did um, a very a very good job of that. So let's. Uh, kind of want to switch gears a little bit and uh so the protagonist is candy uh the antagonist is father patrick that's right uh, so kind of want to start how did you go about build because the character of candy is very uh complex and i i think that today actually we have a lot of people like candy in our world uh younger women who are trying to um, you know, go to school, get get degrees in impressive fields, not like me getting a film degree and doing nothing with it. But it's so expensive and, and unattainable, you know, and I'm not casting aspersions or anything, but, you know, some of them have gone to things like OnlyFans and stuff, things where they can control their their situation and still find a way to make a living for themselves. So how did you go about uh, kind of building candy from from the ground up? Like a lot of my characters, especially with this book, where um, I kind of just, I had a vague outline and I started writing and I, I got about halfway through and at that point I realized what, who the characters were, what they wanted, what the, where the story was going. Um, and so I went back to the very start and, and didn't, didn't, I wouldn't say rewrote it, but rewrote large swathes of, um, of the text with that understanding that I developed over writing the character. Um, there's, I, I hadn't actually thought about you, you're right. It, there are definitely parallels with the sort of modern age. I think um, people on like OnlyFans and stuff have it a lot better. They have more control mm -hmm. um, than, you know, working under a, a pimp or a brothel madam or something back in the, in the early eighties. But that's, that's an interesting, uh, interesting point. Yeah. Um, there was there was the, this one probably had the most changes to it since Dead Girl Blues, which I really 
I, I kept sort of rewriting and going back and changing things and completely altering the ending. Um, characters who died in the first three drafts make it to the end of the final oh, okay. one. Characters who made it to the end die you know, <laughs> several chapters in. It's really hard for me to actually remember what what was happening when, um, in which version now, because it changed so often. <laughs> um bit of a spoilery question here but now i'm curious yeah. is there uh any draft of the story where uh candy's love interest makes it well no ah oh, uh, i know no. i know it wasn't that harsh i know I, that was one of those ones <laughs> and i've I, I think about this all the time it's i remember as a child um reading an interview with stephen king where he was talking about and here's a spoiler for Kujo, if someone's not read that book, which is about 40 years old now. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. Where Stephen King's, a, a character dies in that, let's just say that. And Stephen King said in the interview, he was like, I didn't want him to die. Uh, it just happened. I was just writing it and he died. And I, at the time, I thought, Stephen, what are you talking about? You wrote the story. You're talking shite, mate. You could have just not killed them. <clears throat> and then that exact thing has happened to me several times when writing books. And in this one, um, I think in my outline, that character does actually survive a lot longer, maybe to the end. It's hard for me to recall. Um, But yeah, actually, when I wrote it, um, in fact, originally, a different character died in that particular scene where that character dies. Um, Oh my God, yeah. It's it's a tangled web writing. (laughs) It's, uh, but... Yes, that character, unfortunately, no. no uh, yeah, I, I was surprised when that person died, which is ridiculous. <laughs> I was sitting there writing the book. But um, yeah. well, I, I, sometimes I you have to just, I, I, I just love, I, I never get tired of, I've used it in a couple of stories, um, the whole psycho or scream thing as well, if you like, where you introduce a, someone, everyone thinks, oh, here's a main character, and then, oh, shit, they did. Yeah. That's always um, a surprise. <laughs> yeah, Why well, I, I as sad that I was that it happened, I think that that one of the first people to show Candy actual respect and emotion, you know, just gets gets offed a, a few chapters later. And I was like, that just makes her her story so much more tragic, and it it makes you fall more in love with the character and invested in in wanting them to succeed. Yeah, because I mean, it's one of those characters that has a horrible backstory. And then they die. And <laughs> it's like, oh, sorry, everyone. Because, you know, people want an arc and they want a redemption story and stuff. And sometimes in life, that doesn't happen. People just die. <laughs> More um, often than not, yeah. Yeah, so uh, it's, I think as well, when you do that, people, you, you really, you, you want to wrong foot the reader because they think, yeah, people want, think they know exactly what's happening. And as soon as you do that, they're like, oh, right, okay, what, what's going to happen next? You know, you've, you've instantly set people on edge. Um, you know, surprise them, and that at that point they're in your hands, um, and it's your it's your your book to to lose at that point, you know. Um. So also on on the topic of uh main characters, Father Patrick, I think that might be one of your uh most complex antagonists. He's doing what he thinks is right and he's obviously going the very wrong the worst way about it as possible so the what was the the inception for his character was was there any inspiration you drew from because 
I mean, uh, this book goes from supernatural to to zombie to uh, you know. Oh, and the entire thing takes place mainly in one location. Uh, so it, it that gives it a very claustrophobic feel. So um, I kind of diverged. Sorry. So uh, for for uh, Father Patrick, how did you kind of uh, how did you craft him into the absolutely terrifying presence that he is? Well, because uh, uh, the book itself, I think some people will read it and immediately think, oh, this is a, a very anti-religion book. And it's not meant as that specifically. Now, I myself am not religious at all. Um, but my like whole family is, my parents are and stuff. They're all members of the church and things. So I didn't want it to be like specifically a, an attack on religion and everyone who mm-hmm. is religious is a fool and stuff. Not, not, none of that, you know. So I sort of took him as the, you know, that type of one we can all agree on, the, the religious zealot, the sort of Westboro Baptist Church type kind of guy, the, you know, those, those ah, the, the, the horrible religious people. The bad ones. Yes, it's very much one of them. But also, you know, you, I wanted to show at the start the sort of his, his line of thinking and then what he sees and what you know, the way he's been brought up and what he believes in and what he's seeing is happening to the world. So you sort of get a, an insight into what's happening with him. Um, he's, he, yeah, he, he then goes about it all the wrong way entirely, yeah. uh, very much. Um, but, yeah, he's just a, he's just a dick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is. Um, so actually, you know, originally, um, and the, uh, here's a, you know, major spoiler for the book. In a way, um, he was originally in the first version. He was the only antagonist. He was the baddie. Oh, okay. So, so the the protesters and the uh, how do I say this without another? Uh, in the the wooden person. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, the so they came there, but the other the other character was um, was not. That was okay. as I was writing it. Um, I came up with that idea and just ran with it, and I'm glad I did. <laughs> when when you have an idea like that, uh, that kind of almost, in a way, changes the entire direction of a story. How how do you handle writing wise, um, in addition of a new antagonist? Because obviously. Was was uh, like the cross and stuff. Was that in the basement the whole time, and then you turned it into a character, or you had to go back and retroactively add, you know, the the cross and all of that that uh, symbolism. I had I added parts of that. Um, the cross was always there, and then when I got to that, when I was first writing that first draft, the actual full first draft, uh, as soon as I hit that part, that character came into it, and then I was like, ah. Crap, let's just go with it. Um, because the, with some, what, what I wanted really when I was writing this and what, why the Fool Tube was a big inspiration is because I look back at Forgotten Island and when I was writing that, I was just throwing everything into it. Mm-hmm. Like, because, you know, it's, it was my first book, it might have been my last book, who knew? Um, so it's just, it's absolutely crazy the amount of mad nonsense that goes on in that. And I, Part of me, I, I, I've refined the, my writing over the years um, to focus, to have a much tighter focus. 
And I kind of wanted to go back to that freewheeling, um, chaotic style of Forgotten Island. And so with this book, when I came up with a whole new antagonist a third of the way into the book, I thought, well, hell with it. Let's just go with it. It makes sense. It's not, it's not like it's going to throw someone off. You know, it's like, let's just go with it. And that's very much in the style of those sort of classic Fulci films, where it's almost like a dream logic, where, you know, you've got the beyond, where um, there's a warlock, and then the hotel's built on a gateway to hell, and then a acid falls on a man's face and chases someone, then zombies appear. It's like, it, it's pure madness. It's lunacy. But I love that, and it works really well in cinema form. It's much harder to do in written form, and I'm hoping that um, my attempt at doing it here, that sort of dream logic, anything can happen sort of style, um, is working. I know people have said, oh, I don't really see how some of these different disparate elements connect, and it's like, well, that's, that's fine. You don't have to. They do, you know, they, they, they do connect, and it's... You know, yeah. <laughs> Basically, I just went with it. With this book, I just kept throwing more and more crazy, crazy stuff at it um, and building to a you know, fully apocalyptic type finale that, you know, you don't see from, from, the, from the first chapter. You don't, you don't see that sort of ending coming. Um, so, yeah, I just, I just went with it. <laughs> Is what I'm saying. Know, I, I think very rarely you in in horror you don't often see the crazy zealot being correct they're usually just a crazy zealot and the the way that you kind of make it like oh no this is actually happening this dude's real uh god is real you're all gonna fucking die um i just thought that was a, a very impressive way to take it um kind of on that note i i know earlier i did mentioned that the majority of it takes place in um one location but i think one of the and maybe i'm speaking out of line but i think the boldest choice you took in this novel uh was the addition of the two police officers and i think that it either could have worked really well which i think it did or it could have um i there could have been a chance where there wasn't a payoff for that. But I think the way that you introduce these two police officers, how they are basically the ones telling the reader what's happening outside of the brothel, and then how you have that final, you know, that you have that denouement of them yeah, finally getting to the brothel. It's like, this was actually all very worth it, and I can't believe I ever questioned it. What the fuck is wrong with me? <laughs> um, so where, uh, where uh, the idea to add the two officers was that was that always kind of uh, from from the the initial idea, or did that come later on? It came slightly later on. Yeah, um, I know what you mean with um, you know because when you think about a, a story cutting away to two cops, the first thing I think of is Last House on the Left, which <laughs> yeah. is notorious for its um, misplaced um, humor in the, in the midst of this ghastly revenge story. Um, so yeah, it, it, uh, my my goal was to just not have it turn out like that. Um, but I felt I wanted that claustrophobic feeling of the brothel. But at, at a certain point, it, it, it was beginning to get too samey. You were just mm -hmm. going from one 
brothel room to another brothel room to another and it, it, it needed a bit more oomph. You needed to step away for a little bit um, to, to sort of keep it fresh. Uh, so that's where those guys came in and um, yeah, like you say, they became a sort of Greek chorus in a way, subtly done I hope, um, yeah. that introduces another huge element to the story and um, I think they have a very amusing uh, punchline <laughs> let's yeah. see um i think they really it caps the story off in, in in a way that made me laugh to think of it and me laugh to to write it well in in the way that you introduce them you don't just throw them in our face you have this couple where you're not sure what direction it's going to take the guy seems pretty rapey and he's like hey let's uh let's jump over the cemetery wall and, and get jiggy with it and she's kind of like I don't know. And then you have them falling through the ground, revealing the tunnels, and then the cops show up and they're like, what the hell is going on here? So I was kind of thinking you were going to be, you were going to have these tiny little vignettes scattered throughout. Mm -hmm. And then, and then once I realized that these cops are supporting characters, I was kind of like, I like how we're getting the, the story of the outside world through, uh, and I'll repeat a word you said, kind of the Greek chorus. Um, I think that the the addition of them paid off uh, very well. Um, so, it, as as I've kind of hinted throughout, uh, and I mean this with the most praise possible, um, you you do write a lot of violence in in your books, and there's there's I think a fine line between good taste and uh, offensive. And I think that you've kind of found the perfect route of it's still in good taste. I don't think I've ever read anything by you. And I've been like, oh, bro, why, why did you add that? That was too much. I, I think you pepper it throughout harshly enough, but still in a gentle manner. So how, how do you approach uh, when it comes to, to violence in your work? I, th <laughs> I think... Um... I, I, I honestly, uh, I think it's because I, my enthusiasm <laughs> for for writing these awful things comes through. So it's never going to be. I, I'm not sitting writing from a really hateful place of like, oh, this, these, uh, I'm going to kill this oh, bastard. You know, I, I'm, I'm sitting when I'm writing these scenes. I've got a massive smile on my face because I'm like, <laughs> what, what if the witch comes out of her vagina? <laughs> like that, you know, it's like, it's great fun. And I think that comes across. And I, I it's, my violence is outrageous um, I, and, and just shocking and things. But like you say, I don't, I don't think it, I mean, I, I, I have no idea what's offensive or not. And to be honest, I would be very, very happy to be set if for someone to say that my stuff was very, bad taste that makes me think of john waters um yeah. you know just it can be tasteless that's cool not a problem but i, I think you're right the, 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 it's it is there's a fun there's a glee to the violence um that you can you can visualize the sort of the the, the blood splattering everywhere like in a like the gionetto de rossi um special effects scene or something it's there's there's a fun to it. I think the one exception for that, or the two exceptions, I'd say Dead Girl Blues and Satan's Burnout Must Die definitely have a harder edge. Um, but even then, I think I, I do feel myself occasionally sort of pulling back. Usually my first drafts are a little bit more graphic. Mm. And I 
just pull back a little bit because if I'm reading it and I think, oh, that's a bit, ugh, a bit much, um, I'll pull back slightly. And by that, I mean I'll, I'll remove a word or a line or something like that. It's, it's still very similar, but occasionally I'll think, oh, that's, that's a bit much, David. But then I write extreme stuff as well under different <laughs> names. So in that one, it's <laughs> all bets are off. It is um, super nasty. Oh, that that's interesting. I you mentioned that a little bit earlier. I I I was not uh, I was not aware of that. Um, yeah, more... yeah. I I I don't um, tell people what it is, but I, I write under several <laughs> different names, different genres, different styles of things. That's fair. Um, but the the main stuff, the stuff I spend years <laughs> writing, is is comes out under my name. That's the really good stuff. And then there's other things as well. But you know, just a little side hustle almost. <laughs> Uh, so there's <clears throat> there's one uh, kill that I really need to know about, and I think you might be knowing where I'm going with this one. It's uh, and there's a I don't want to spoil it, so I'll find a way to ask it without spoiling it. The character in the bathroom, the man. Oh yeah, I thought you were gonna say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where where did where did because that was so out of left field man i i read that and i was like he's not gonna do that oh he did it okay and <laughs> see that, that that for me that 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 one maybe crosses the line into into bad taste <laughs> it's like where uh, where where did that where did that idea come from because it's it's so obscure but it fits in this world that you've created perfectly um I, I don't know. Maybe it's. Have you ever seen the the Scottish film Train Spotting? Yes. Yeah, I'd think. I think of the um, when he dives into the filthy toilet in there. I mean, oh, that yeah. wasn't an inspiration, but I'm wondering if subconsciously um, that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because the, the the whole lead up to that scene is is and it was honestly the 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 levity that I think was needed at that specific point in the book because there's there's the sex worker in the room outside of the bathroom she's like oh my god how can i how can i be turned on after this she even lights a candle and, <laughs> and she and she's like oh, this is this is the worst um it's it's moments like that you need little moments um where when you've got a story that's completely you know you can't have all unrelenting grim dark you know edginess all the time you know you need as someone I can't remember who it was. I remember a director saying, "You need to give the audience something to laugh at, or else they're going to start laughing at your scary stuff." Mm. Um, you, know, you need to give them that release. So, and I think that little scenes like that as well. Um, you know, everyone's everyone's walked into a, a public toilet and been like, "Oh my god, what is that smell? <laughs> oh, what is that?" And so it's, it's a, those little moments that humanize because that character herself. I think, I think it's um. Oh, I won't say the name, um, but. You know, she's barely in the book. She's barely in it. And in a way, she's just there to be killed. You know, she's one of those characters. So I want, I, I never want to have that. I never want to introduce someone just to kill them and not give you, not give the reader something, not, you know, not, not even think about them. So they're basically just a, a faceless cipher. Um, so I think, you know, that sort of humanizes her a little bit and it makes you care about her a bit more because you can relate to her um, with, you know, a situation like that. Um, I think, <laughs> and uh, that that was also the the quote doctor. Yes. That, okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um. It, uh, so you you said Again, uh, he was originally a doctor, and then um, as I was writing that particular scene, I was like, "Well, that's boring. Um, <laughs> let's 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 
let's change it up a little bit, you know? So. Oh yeah. Cause I love that. He walks in and he's like, yeah, she's okay. I guess. Can we, <laughs> can we go back to what we were doing? <laughs> um, but I, I think, uh, you used the word humanize. And I think that's one thing that you, that you did for the, uh, a lot of the, the sex workers in this novel that sometimes when you go back and watch the seventies and eighties films, there's sometimes less of a humanization about them and with with each sex worker like with uh um <clears throat> candy's love interest uh you know uh she's the the dominatrix correct that's right yeah okay yeah um and uh you have this the the sex worker for the the toilet scene who um you know still has to put on a good face when the guy comes out or you even have the one sex worker who uh you know jerks her client off and then they're like okay we can just take a nap now because that's what you need so i i think it's it's very impressive how how you write these characters and uh yeah you do a great job at humanizing them well that's what's important to me yeah as um yeah, it's exactly what you say with with the the, the sort of films that, that i love and i think uh, you love as well Mm -hmm. um they don't always have a great track record for things like um <laughs> um you know treating uh, sex workers or um anyone from the lgbtqia plus community yeah. uh very well there's a lot of shocking transphobia and homophobia and mm -hmm. racism and things in all these uh films and you know it's, i'm not one of these people who's like well i can't watch that film because of that i can watch it and go well that's that's terrible i shouldn't have done that and still enjoy the film but what I want with my books is to, um, you know, be be more inclusive. Um, yeah, I th I think it's it's so much more interesting. You've got a much broader tapestry to work with, including people of all different backgrounds. Um, but I always want all my characters to, with the exception of maybe some villains in some of the other books and things, I always want everyone to to feel like a real human. So I don't write them thinking, right, here's a, a black woman, how am I going to write her? Here's a, a gay man, how am I going to write him? It's, I just write everyone as people, everyone as human, because um, we're all, that's all we all are at the end of the day, is we're all just humans trying to bungle our way through life. Um, so it's important that I, I have a, a nice variety of characters and that everyone's treated fairly and respectfully, even if they're a total scumbag you know i'm still going to try and write them as a as a, a, a human that's yeah definitely the case and well i've got to say one of my the, my favorite things is i've had a lot of feedback um from um uh, women readers saying that they really like the way i write my women characters and that's for me is the, the the best sort of feedback i can get i think that's that's always lovely to hear oh yeah yeah I, mean, I try um, and sorry yeah no no no. go ahead i can't remember what i was gonna say oh, i'm so i <laughs> i have the I have the worst habit of doing that. I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm amazed it's taken this long for me to completely forget what I was saying. Um. <laughs> um, so uh, before we kind of start wrapping this up, is there anything else uh, about this novel that, that you wanted to talk about that we didn't really get the chance to go over? Oh, um, I mean, I need to mention that it's available on Amazon worldwide. Yes. <laughs> But um, no, I, I just I'm happy it's out there. It's it's been a long time in the works. Um, you just never know what you, you know. You I mean I must have read it myself, start to finish about fifty times over the course of writing it, rewriting it, editing and things. 
So I have no idea by that point whether it works anymore. <laughs> you know, I've, who knows? Um, and you just got to put it out there and see what happens. Sometimes the books I think have worked out the best sell the worst, and the ones that I think haven't worked out quite as well as I hoped um, have been huge sellers. So, yeah, I just hope people enjoy it. That's uh, I just want to just want to entertain you. <laughs> Well, and entertaining it is. And I, I think that <clears throat> kind of uh, one of the things that we were talking about earlier is how with um, the the character uh, with Candy kind of being uh, relatable to nowadays and also with the whole <coughs> uh, religious zealots picketing, you know, abortion clinics and stuff. I think there's uh, a lot of parallels whether you know they were intended or they were just happy coincidences that I think a lot of people are going to be able to make connections with this book to now. And I think that'll that'll make a lot of people really uh really uh I I just lost the word uh, connect with it a lot a lot more. And that's good, yeah, because I, I the the danger you know, not just with writing horror, but especially with writing horror that's set in a specific time period, you know, sort of in a way homaging a specific type of um, horror genre, you know, you don't want it to just come as uh, off as empty retro just for the sake of being retro, you know, you, you do need to have something interesting to say as well. It can't just be, you know, it's like if you see a, a, a film and it's got a sort of John Carpenter-esque synth score and it's shot in full scope and things and they've they put little scratches on it to make it look like it was shot in 16 mil and stuff. Yeah. But there's, there's nothing there, you know. It's it, it's just empty. So I just want, I, yeah, I want to make sure that, it, and I certainly hope that it is going to connect people in the modern age, um, in, in now. Uh, and so it sounds like yeah, you you think I've done that. So that's that's lovely to hear. <laughs> Uh, so I, I hate to be that person to be like, but what are you doing next? Because uh, you know that it's it's I it's always kind of frustrating to hear when you know half of an interview is like trying to talk about someone's next next project. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But do do you have anything in the pipeline? Or because I know you and Boris just took a little vacation. Um, we did. We popped up to the Highlands of Scotland, um, and that was to research. Um, Three books. <laughs> um, one of which very specifically should be my next one. That'll be, um, I mean, I've not even started outlining it, so we're talking next year, certainly. Um, but there is there was an element I was looking at for um, Forgotten Island 2 as well. Mm. Uh, so that that's, that's still a long way off Ooh. as well. But Wait, that will shit. be coming. Um, that's, I've been working on that since the first one came out. It's it's a it's a very <laughs> it's a it's a big book. Um, it's, there's a lot going on in that. Uh, so there was those two, and there's something else. Uh, it used to be easier at the end of my books. I always used to say, you know, coming soon, night shoot. Coming soon, Maggie's grave. I I can't do that anymore because I have so many ideas. So I do have like wait one two. I've got two books, two novels that are nearly finished maybe three quarters, four fifths of the way through. Okay. So one of them could come out next. I think they're both set in America. So I want to do a Scottish one next. So probably <laughs> who knows, who knows? I've got about um, five different ones I'm working on sort of in various stages for myself. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know what's coming next. Um, I have an idea 
for what's coming next. But we'll we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I've got some really cool ones um, that are nearly finished. So if if I'm struggling with uh, something, I can just move on to one of those and put them out instead. Well, you know, I'm excited for whatever's coming next. But uh, I want to, uh, from the bottom of my heart, uh, seriously, thank you for for coming. When I told my mom that you were going to be on here, uh, (laughs) she freaked out. Um, so, uh, but, uh, for anyone listening, uh, and by God's hand, you shall die a, the newest novel from David Sodergren. You can get it on Amazon. Like he said, um, we here highly recommend it. If we had a a star or an accolade for, for this podcast, it would have it, it would have the roomy, whatever it is. I don't know. Um, and, uh, like we said earlier, you can find David on Twitter at, paperbacks in pugs uh you can find him on instagram paperback and pugs uh follow him he uh i we we uh kyle and i both really like how you do like the four square images from films on twitter that's always fun to uh, the amount of movies i've put on my list because of the 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 images you posted about them uh yeah my list is insane now I apologize, uh, but you're going to see a lot of really good films, so it's all good. Um, but seriously, uh, David, thank you so much for for coming and talking with us. Uh, this book is fantastic, and uh, please uh, tell Boris how much we all love him. I will do. <laughs> thank you for having me on. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Brendan. Um, anytime. And if you ever just want to like watch a movie and come on and talk about it, you are you have an open door policy whatever movie you want to talk about you are always welcome here hey that sounds good actually because i much prefer talking about anything other than myself (laughs) so (laughs) that sounds like a definite option (laughs) but um so uh this has been another episode of ruminations of red rum the wooden jesus of the ruminations radio network thank you all for listening so very much and go check out david's book Stay spooky, folks. Mm-hmm.